My name is Ed Akira, and I'm the producer of the short film documentary, A Film Called Black Can Swim. The aim of the film is to understand why a disproportionate amount of black people and ethnic minorities can't and don't swim. On my journey to find the truth, I have the pleasure of speaking with a British radio and television presenter and news reporter. She has worked on ITV Central News, Sky News, the BBC, Imagine FM, Touch FM, and she produced Ladies of Lyrics, an hour-long documentary about UK female rappers for BBC Radio 1 Extra. Marvin Cole, welcome to In the Deep End with Ed Akira. Uh, hi, Ed. Thank you so much for asking me on. It's good to speak to you. Good, good, good. So, swim. I take it you do swim. <laughs> this is a story in itself. Um, so, I was obviously intrigued by your documentary because um, I remember as uh, at a very young age, oh, it must have been about six or seven years old, um, being taken to the local swimming bath um, with my primary school in Birmingham, where I grew up in Birmingham. Um, and I really loved it. Absolutely loved it. I was very good at um, backstroke more than front crawl. Um, and we would go every week. We'd walk down the road. Um, saying down the road. We'd walk across our um, district where we lived in Bartley Green to the senior school. So at the time there was a boys' grammar school and that had a big um, a big swimming pool that we went to every week and I would love it. Um, things changed though <laughs> when I got to senior school um, and we would then go from our girls' senior school uh, to the local swimming bath up in Harborn in Birmingham and I just stopped enjoying it and for some reason I had a sudden and irrational fear of the water um, and so with swimming lessons they stopped being such fun uh, I didn't I didn't fib and lie to get out of them I did go every week but I kind of just splish sploshed around and didn't really do the tasks that, I, that was asked <laughs> why did you suddenly all of a sudden stop enjoying it I think a combination of things I think puberty for a young girl um, I also think um, you know, the kind of weekly um, effect of chlorine on my hair, even though um, I would wear a swimming cap. My mum was always very conscious about making sure you got a good swimming cap on, it was tight on your head. Water clearly would st still get under um, and under that cap and into, into my hair. And, um, you know, I just didn't, I didn't like the smell of the chlorine. And, you know, that would mean mum would be washing my hair as soon as I got back. And it was, and I hated the hair washing process. And then my, and, and even then, you know, the, it would kind of stunt the growth of my hair. And all of those, the combination of all those things meant I didn't enjoy the process, didn't enjoy swimming. Uh, for some reason, I fell out of love with it. Um, and I also just got scared of the water, got scared of going under. I uh, hated the feeling of water rushing up my nose, burning my eyes. Um, add to the fact that um, I was a glasses uh, I was a glasses wearer at that time, the whole of my young life. Um, so my eyes would burn. I couldn't really see <laughs> where I was going to swim lengths properly. Um, and what my mum had to do was, you're going to laugh at this, Ed, I obviously 
glasses all the time and my mum made a makeshift kind of elastic she got like a long piece of elastic from her dressmaking that she used to do um, and tied you know a bit of elastic uh, from one end of my glasses to the other so the, the glass could stay on my face while swimming right so I could actually see where I was going properly because I had bad eyesight ingenious um, so I'd be splashing around the water I could see but then obviously the water was splashing on my glasses it was just all levels of non-enjoyment for me, Ed. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I was so relieved when the, the swimming classes at senior school stopped because, um, you know, I was taking my O-levels um, and really I was very academic, so I was very happy not to go swimming and get dig into my lessons. Um and from then on, you know, I, I've not really, uh, never really enjoyed swimming. So up until now, you still don't enjoy swimming? I do not actively swim. So I love a splash in a pool, in a jacuzzi, in a you know swimming pool at the gym, uh, swimming pool on holiday. I love a splash around in the sea. I'm not afraid of water in that sense. Um, but if, but what I am. Uh, careful about is not slipping and getting under the water. I don't want to. <laughs> the fear of like water going up my nose and in my eyes and all that again, and bring back all those memories from school is too much. Um, so I don't swim in water, but I'll, I will splash about. And and if, and if I'm in a pool, Ed, I like to keep my feet on a bottom. I want to feel my feet on the bottom of the pool. I I don't even enjoy treading water. But you can do it if 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 um, you are in trouble or someone's in trouble and you if need to do it. If my life depended on it, you could do it. Like like everybody else, right? I would I would definitely. I'm sure my um, flight fight and flight instinct right would kick in and I'd be swimming for my life. And I think that's the main thing because <laughs> it's a life skill. So as long as we've recognised as a life skill and have that skill under our yeah. belt, so to speak. Yeah. Um, that is the main thing. Yeah, yeah. So, um, do you see the dif- do you see a difference in attitudes in swimming between your black and ethnic minority friends and white friends? Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I, the, the, the girlfriends that I've been on holiday with, they love a swim, and they always go like, "Come on in, Mom. Come on in." I'm like, "Yeah." So I'll just I'll be just here, like you know, splashing around in the corner. Um, so uh, you know, from, from my own friendship group um not a big difference um you know all my other black female friends and male friends would be splashed about whenever been on holiday um the same as my white friends but i know you know there because obviously there are tons of the diaspora there's tons of us hundreds of thousands of us in the diaspora you know across um the uk um and everybody's experience will be different but my friendship group no difference at all you know i if anything i was the odd one out just because i you know have this this memory of not enjoying it from you know teenage years that's good at least there's hope <laughs> that's, it's very, it's very, <laughs> that's good that's good um something that's mentioned a lot it, it may be a, a reason or an excuse but for today i'll stick with it being a reason um, the reason why many ethnic adults and certainly those that live in less affluent areas don't learn how to swim, they say, is cost. Um, what's your thoughts on this? 
Well, you know, uh, anecdotal evidence is one thing, but I think the data is the other. And being a journalist, you know, I firmly believe in the data. So I'd like to see some research about whether or not that is actually true um, and how far, you know, that data is split down into um, people's true reasons that they've given in some sort of survey around why they don't go. Um, I know there's an issue around um, council-owned swim baths and the availability of those, uh, whether or not they, are, you know, exist in certain areas, because they are the, they are the options, aren't they? They're the low-cost options, um, where you'll pay, you know, a few quid to go and be at the council bath. Um, and it's the cost of those baths, whether or not that's prohibitive. Um, I, I would find it, you know, I'm sure any council would find it hard to, to open a, a public bath for free because those buildings do need to be maintained and, and paid for in some way um, for people to go to them. Um, so I can't, I don't have a view on it until I know, you know, where, where you know, know more about the availability of public baths and whether or not cost you know, it's been it's been cited through data and research as a true reason stopping people. The media, the government, the education system. So I have my personal views on on these establishments and attitude towards um, the subjects that we're discussing today. Today is all about you, not about me. So my views I shall put to the side. The media. Do you think? they have a responsibility um we heap a lot of responsibility on the media and at the end of the day you know a lot of media organizations are privately privately owned so they can do what they like they can make programs and produce content that they like um but then you know there we have public service broadcasters like the bbc like channel 4 who get government money um or who you know and that garner the license fee for uh, you know from audiences and in many respects, you know, those words public service should mean that they um, should really be looking to the audience they serve. Um, I would say, you know, given that um, many more black and minority ethnic audiences don't feel underserved, particularly by the BBC, so they're not watching or listening um, or engaging uh, as much with them, um, it makes you wonder whether or not the BBC would want to reach out um, or Channel 4 would want to reach out and make programmes like that. Um, so I think, you know, we've got to look to people who have already made um, really interesting headlines around swimming. I mean, you know, a friend of mine, um, Ayo Akinwalea, who um, used to present BBC, uh, used to present rather Blue Peter, yeah. um, and he now presents kind of rugby uh, programming and Premier League football programming. He um, set out uh, to learn to swim, um, and he's you know set two world records of swimming. He's from the Channel, didn't he? In some of the deepest stretches of the on the planet, yeah, he swam five miles across the you know the, the abyss in the Pacific Ocean back in 2011. So you know he's made headlines around um, you know the the, the kind of uh, the swimming awareness that he's raised around that you know the lack of black and minority ethnic people swimming um, and I think you know what he does and what you do are great and if there could be programs made around that great um, it's all about the will of commissioners as well people making the programs because you know not every program maker or not every content maker sitting there going we have a duty to raise awareness of this um, 
it down to people like Io and you who are doing, who are, you know, making these documentaries and making these headlines. Um, I think that's you know kind of the way forward, really. Yeah, um, yeah, because I've been, I've been also working with Alice Deering, the, the, the only black swimmer in Team GB, and mm. we've, we've been you know highlighting blacks can swim, and and talking as much about it you know talking about it and trying to trying to encourage a lot of people to actually you know just consider it think about it and think about the dangers of not being able to swim so yeah Yeah, of course and i mean you know there was the whole um literally the black girls don't swim for seren jones that's right yeah to made the documentary last year that's right when alice deering was part of it so um so Sarah made that documentary Radio 4, which is really, really interesting. So there are pockets of programming being made, commissioned, which is great. Um, so, you know, what you're doing is, 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 is all part of that awareness, really, to, to make people kind of think about it more and, and, um, and try and develop that as a life skill if they don't already. Racism in sports. <laughs> uh, a sensitive subject. Um, so you hear all the stories, especially football and in swimming, and about the racist antics. Um, do you think this is a reflection of the society we're living in today? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, yeah, I think the heightened racism everywhere, you know, not just in sport. Um, you know, in the NHS now, we hear about doctors, nurses, uh, health professionals being um, racially abused in their workplace by patients on a daily basis uh, and the high numbers of that and hate crime and all the rest of it i just think we're living in a in a in a kind of politically volatile climate which um you know particularly around um or since the 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 brexit referendum decision you know some racists feel very buoyed you know and enthused and encouraged uh to say really what they might have hidden Right, and not said or said covertly or amongst close friends, they now feel buoyed to be able to say things that are out and out racist. Um, I think the, the antidote to that is that um, strong, swift action should be taken against people who do that um, because, you know, it, 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 it's, it's hateful. Um, and, you know, institutions who, um, institutions should make sure they have robust policies to handle people who are racist um, and and make sure that those people are, you know, um, kind of reprimanded accordingly. That's the only way that we're going to clamp down on racism. You know, we call it out and people who um, are found to, to be racist get to, get to feel the consequences of their actions. We have a job ahead of us, but it has to be done. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. So, um, one of the issues that has been highlighted is the lack of visible role models within the black community. Mm. Um, so, basically, so I asked myself, if they were more visible, if, they saw, if this, people saw more black people swimming as on, on an Olympic level, on, the, on an elite level, would that make a difference? I think representation is a really interesting thing. I think, you know, you you can't be what you can't see. Uh, I think I coined that phrase from um, the Chancellor of the University where I work, Birmingham City University, Sir Lenny Henry said that. Um, uh, And I'm sure 
I'm sure many other people have said that too. But I remember him saying that when he visited our university uh, earlier in the year. You can't be what you can't see. Um, and so unless um, people who are doing great work, you know, from the African Caribbean diaspora, unless we see them, unless they actually kind of highlight the work that they're doing so we can see them, then um, we're not going to be, we may not be readily inspired. Um, but I think what's nice about the way that things have changed is that social media means that people are able to kind of um, promote themselves and what they do instead of waiting for anybody else or waiting for permission for anybody else to say, am I allowed to, to talk about what I do? Um, because we can all do it ourselves, right, on Twitter, on Facebook, on, on LinkedIn, on Instagram, whatever, whatever we're using on Snapchat. We can say, hey, this is what I'm doing and I'm really proud of it. Um, because those are the spaces now where young people who are coming up, uh, who, um, you know, may be inspired by role models, that's where they kind of live predominantly on social media. Um, and so things will change. Times will be changing. Um, you know, I was always inspired by seeing Sir Trevor MacDonald and Moira Stewart reading the news on British television. You know, when I was a kid, we were looking at 40-odd years ago, they inspired me to become a journalist. Um, and there are many more uh, black and minority ethnic uh, role models now being visible and saying, hey, I do this in swimming, hey, I do this in rugby, hey, I do this in football, hey, I do this in law, I do this in accountancy, I do this in, you know, science, technology, engineering, and maths. Um, so as society changes, and role models come out more and more, I think, you know, that, that there'll be more people, more young people wanting to branch out into different industries. So about you, so what have you been up to lately? What's your plans for the future? Wow, okay, gosh, ooh. You ask a journalist, this is it. <laughs> um, so uh, in my little outpost out here in Birmingham, um, so Britain's uh, second city, a uh, city of 1.3 million people, I do a fantastic job. So, you know, I, I, I've been a journalist for 16, 17 years, a, a, a television and radio news journalist and news reader, um, and I still uh, produce content. But what I also do is I teach the, the journalists the future stars of journalism. So I'm the head of undergraduate journalism courses at Birmingham City University, where we teach three-year degrees in journalism, sports journalism, music journalism, and fashion and beauty journalism. So I, I have a team of lecturers, and we all teach, uh, you know, 18, 19, 21-year-olds how to go out there and be reporters, which is really fun and really exciting. Um, and I also... Um, still make documentaries so um, I made a documentary for BBC Radio 4 last year about mental illness and black women's experiences of mental illness um, so that's called Black Girls Don't Cry and that's still available online now I saw that one. Oh, great yeah 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 I, uh, it's still available I made it last year and it's up, it's up for an award so really exciting um, I've just launched a, a new podcast series called Fabulous Woman about everyday women who inspire um, me having a chat with interesting women, a different one in each episode. Um, and I've got a few other podcasts in the pipeline uh, that will be coming uh, in 2020. 
You're doing a, you're doing a great job. So yeah. are you, Ed. And, and, and I, I watch what you do and watch what other journalists are doing, and, and that's what inspires me to do what I do. And thank you very much for taking the time to come and that's speak with me. Pleasure. Hopefully, we'll be able to eradicate the issue and get more people swimming and less people drowning. Yeah, I think, you know, what you're doing is, is, is uh, really inspirational. I think, you know, spreading the word um, and keep doing it. Keep doing it and keep talking to people and keep raising that awareness. Thank you very much.